Ferry. It's a message that I've felt weighed down for the last couple of weeks as I've been doing the research and studying and di diving into it and getting prepared to deliver this message. The reason why it's going to be kind of heavy is because some of what I may say this morning may be difficult to hear. And if taken the wrong way, and if you don't see my heart in this, you may even walk away offended this morning. But I want you to understand that is not my intention on where I'm going with this today. I'm bringing a message that you need to hear, a difficult message, one that is heavy, simply because it's necessary for us to really realize where we are as a church. Where is First Baptist Church, um, and where should she be going? You know, I want you to understand this is my short time as, as your pastor, you know, here in Malvern. And I know that phrase often kind of segues into a resignation speech. That's not what's coming, so I want to relieve you of that. I've had a great time as your pastor. I've really, truly enjoyed the time that I've here. It was that, I, that, I'm, that I've been here, and I look forward to many more years ahead. You know, getting my family here. It took six months to get us moved in here. We're kind of getting settled in. My son's doing great in school. We're really proud of what he's been doing, and we've really kind of jumped into this community. And we love Malvern, and I love you, and I love being your pastor. I do look forward to many more years to come, if that be the Lord's will, and I will be here until the Lord moves me into another place. But anything short of that, I will be committed to you. So having said all of that, I've really enjoyed our honeymoon. Yes. Why do I say a honeymoon? Because that's typically a stage in a pastor's tenure. You, know, so you have the honeymoon stage, just like with newlyweds. Everything is great within that first year. And so much that they've actually categorized and made stages of pastor's tenure. And guess what the first one is? A honeymoon, right? It's a honeymoon. And both the pastor and the church, when they start, they start with a clean slate. They both believing the absolute best of each other. And neither can do wrong in the eyes of the other. But obviously we understand that those things don't always last long, do they? You know, sometimes you've got to get down to the reality of a relationship and it becomes work. But what happens also immediately following that is between years two and three, you have a rise of conflict and challenges that the church faces you know, with the pastor. The pastor and the church, they're exposed for who they really are. Some things are exposed, some things that maybe were not, not known about the other. You know, some things can be reconciled, some things cannot. But however, those things, you know, come out into the open. And though no pastor is perfect, no church is perfect, a lot of times this will cause conflict and challenges. But also during this time, after about the first year, usually pastors will look to implement some changes and things that he feels, lead, that he feels led that need to be done. And that also comes with great conflict and challenges many, many times. And this can be challenging for both the church and the pastor whenever we come to that point, years two and three. But I want you to understand the spiritual health of both the pastor and the church will determine how you get through these conflicts and challenges. It will, it will determine the severity. You know, I'm not so naive to think that I or we are, you know, safe from this type of a timeline or a tenure. There's a reason why this is a standard. Anything outside of this is not considered the norm, but this is actually considered the norm. So I want you to understand that, yes, we, we can go through this, but we also need to be expecting of what is actually to come. We don't need to be naive. Even though we're still in our honeymoon period, and I feel that we are, 
We need to be expected that, you know, some things as we continue to move on, you're going to learn things about me, we're going to learn things about you, things that we're going to have to change, and that can bring about some conflict. So I just want you to be prepared for that as we move forward. But then also, what happens in years four and five, they come to a crossroads. And what happens, this is a very critical stage in the relationship between the pastor and church, because if the conflict and challenges have been severe, most likely the pastor's already got resumes out and he's looking to get out. He's looking to leave. If it's been severe, oftentimes the church is ready for him to go. It can go both ways, but usually years four and five, there is a crossroads at this point. But, however, if the church and the pastor can manage their relationship well, standing on the foundation of who Jesus Christ is with spiritual maturity and mutual love for one another in Jesus Christ, you can get through the times of conflict. And you can move forward to some of the very best years that you've ever had, but you've got to press through this, which also brings you to the years 6 through 10, which typically this is the years of fruit and harvest. What has happened during this time up to this point, it's a very critical stage in the relationship between the pastor and church. If the conflicts were able to be gone through, you can go through the tough times, and what happens is going through the tough times, you begin to trust one another even more. Your love grows stronger and deeper for one another because of those tough times. But however, it's very rare for pastors to get to this point. A lot of times when it comes to the crossroads, they bail. And obviously, for, for reasonable you know, reasons, why? Because you can keep hopping from honeymoon to honeymoon to honeymoon and to honeymoon. And churches can do the same thing with rotating pastors in and out. Just go from honeymoon to honeymoon and honeymoon. Or you can actually face the conflict that's most likely that it's going to occur and drive forward and then be able to experience those years of fruits and harvest. Now, what happens after that is... Years 11 and beyond, what can either happen? There's another crossroads. Either the pastor becomes more invigorated and, and uh, looking forward to facing new challenges and continuing to move forward, or the pastor turn, tends to get complacent and tries to ride the wave out until retirement. But that's typically what happens in a pastor tenure. But I want you to understand that me, as, as your pastor, what I'm willing to do and I will be committed to is I will be here and I will be commit to you to get to us to the years of fruits and harvest. I'm committed to make sure that that happens. You know, God, God willing, it'll happen. But I'm committed to seeing us through that far. Hopefully it won't take us 6 to 11, 10 to 10 years. I'd like to experience them sooner. But I want to see us as a church flourish and to see fruit and to be able to reap a great harvest for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll be committed to that. I am committed to that, and I am willing to go even further if the Lord sees fit. So I'm willing to make that commitment to you this morning. Now, I tell you this for one reason and one reason only, is for, so that we can all be on the same page, so we can all have this understanding of where we're going and what expectations that we can see when we're moving forward together as a church. I want us to be prepared for what lies ahead. So where are we as a church but before we get into First Baptist directly, what do we think that the condition of the churches of the United States are? What is the condition? Well, it would be nice if somebody actually did the research and I had the numbers for you. All right? The research shows us this. The, t the 10% are healthy. Only 10% are healthy. 40% are showing signs of sickness Another 40% are very sick, 
and the other 10% are dying. Now understand, this does not include the dead churches that have already died. You know, years, you know, um, you know every, every year there are many churches that are closing their doors because they have died. Now I'll show you this, and I hope you're disturbed by it. How many of you are disturbed by it? Yes. We should be very disturbed by it because according to these numbers, and if they're correct, and I have reason to believe that they are correct, it should be very disturbing to us to know and to understand that every single church, well, not every church, but 90% of the churches that we see, that we drive by, that we attend is either sick or dying. 90% of our churches are either sick or dying. So without even diving into where we are as a church, it's already a safe assumption to assume that First Baptist Church is not a healthy church, right? Just by the numbers. I'm not saying that we are yet, but I'm saying just by the numbers, it's likely that we are not a healthy church. So to answer the question why, again, why do we need to hear this? We need to know the reality of where we truly are as a church and where we want to go. We understand where we want to go. We want to be a healthy, thriving church. But in order to get proper directions to that, we've really got to find out where we stand as a church to make sure that we're getting the right directions and the right steps to getting to a healthy church. So if you will, just open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be talking about Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. How many of y'all already know what this is? And I'm hesitant to go to this text simply because I do not want to appear to be cliche. I don't want to become trite. I don't want to, I don't want to regurgitate something that has already been preached a hundred times. We know that this is the passage of the, of the, of, uh, the church of Laodicea, Right? How many of y'all know the names of the other churches? Maybe a few of them. But most likely, this is the most popular out of the seven that we're talking about. It's the Laodicea church. And it's known for being what? It's known for being lukewarm. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not trying to force anything to fit here. Okay, but as I was reading, reading through this book and I was coming to this, something really jumped out at me. And we're going to pay attention to one verse here in the context in which it is. But the reason why I'm, I'm coming to this is if we actually look at the numbers here in, in, the, in the condition of the churches of the United States, what does that look like? You might have 10% that are hot. You have 10% that are cold. But 80% could probably fit the definition of what? Lukewarm. And again, if we look at the numbers, if 80% of the churches in the United States are a lukewarm church then what's the norm? A lukewarm church. And what is the likelihood of First Baptist Church being a lukewarm church? The odds are against us. Without even looking at anything, without even kind of diving into where we are, the odds are against us that we are possibly a lukewarm church. We are a church that Jesus says that you're not hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but, uh, but you are nauseating, and I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Is that the reality? Because the reality is the United States as a whole, for sure. Let me look at that. 
And I think that the lukewarm church, churches were going across the United States, that's probably the norm. And if we are a lukewarm church, if that's the possibility, if that is the truth, then we really need to face the reality that that is what the truth is in order to take the steps forward in the proper way and to become a thriving, healthy church. Now, I want us to read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17 as we kind of caught up to that point where, yes, it's, it's a lukewarm church. It's not hot nor cold. And it says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And verse 17 says, because you. Now, the reason why he's going to vomit them out of his mouth is because this next statement says, because you say. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. This is a church, though it is lukewarm, it is not hot, has been deceived in their mind to believe that they are in need of nothing. They do not have the proper perspective of their position and where they are as a church. We are rich, we are wealthy, and have need of nothing. Maybe even possibly being satisfied with just existing, just satisfied as a status quo, just, just um, satisfied with being the normal church. But, Jesus said, goes on to say this, he goes, but, but you say this, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Is it possible? Well, we understand for sure that the church of Laodicea is blind, in denial, or completely oblivious to the condition in which it is in. Is it possible that First Baptist Church is a lukewarm church and we're blind, in denial, or oblivious to our, our current condition? It's possible. It's possible. But where are we as a church? And that's what we're going to really do. That, and that's why I think it's very important for us to really take an objective look at where we are. So we can stand before God with integrity. We can stand before the community with integrity, knowing where we are in order to make steps to where we need to go. So are you ready? It's heavy, but let's keep going. So where are we? So let me ask the question. If Jesus himself were to come and give us a diagnosis, where do you think we would fall? Healthy? Symptoms of sickness? Very sick? Or dying? Where would we be? How many of you don't want to know the answer? All right? If we just take a look at a few of the symptoms that we see here, and we are missing that. Okay, it didn't come through on that slide either. Okay, let me read, let me read the symptoms along with you. Some of the symptoms are this. It's not exhaustive, but there's been a significant decline in numbers over the past 10 to 20 years. What do you think? I was speaking with a, with a gentleman, a member of our church, and um, I asked him how long he'd been here. And he'd been here right at 20 years. I said, well, what's the membership been like? I was kind of doing some research and trying to figure out what was happening. And he goes, it's a steady decline. I mean, immediately, a steady decline over the period of the last 20 years. So I think that we can check that one off. I mean, that's a fact that we really can't explain away. The second symptom is prolonged times of apathy with occasional times of conflict, but more apathetic than anything else. Now, what I mean with that is just kind of a going through the motions. We're here, we're showing up, we're doing our part. The church wants to go that way, I'm fine with it. The church wants to go this way, okay, I'm fine with it. 
It's kind of like we're sitting at a, at a table of investors and they're making all the decisions, but because we have no skin in the game, we really don't care what they do. Just kind of being apathetic. I don't know if that describes First Baptist Church, but however, that's one of the symptoms. The third one is the church is not known in the community. The church is not known in the community. Well, due to the rich history of First Baptist Church in Rockport and in Malvern, it's very unlikely that somebody doesn't know where our church is. And you can see the steeple from a mile away, and it's quite noticeable. You drive by it, you know where it is. But I'm not talking about the community knowing where our church is. But does the community know what we do? That's the question that we really have to ask when we're actually asking the question, are we known within the community? If the answer to that is no, then that's a symptom that we must check on the box in our diagnostic. New members are rare. And obviously, if there's been a steady decline over the last 20 years, new membership is obviously rare. If, we've, if we do have new members come, and we're so thankful that we do, we're glad to have you. We want more. But however, the outgo has overcome the inflow, and we're not able to keep up. So there has been a steady decline, but as well as new membership is rare. Revol a revolving door of pastors, and I don't necessarily think that this one fits First Baptist Church, but over the last 10 years, you know, First Baptist has had only two two pastors, not counting myself, for the period of about six years without one. And so I don't necessarily call it a revolving door of pastors. If you fire me after today's message, then I'll check that one for you. And the last one is that the good old days are typically 20 years or more in the past. Yeah, I've heard about those good old days. You reminisce about the good old days. You love the good old days. And they were good, no doubt. But if they were 20 years in the past, and they're not today, we're not in a good situation, are we? We're not. So where do you think that puts us? If we only have three of those six, it puts us in a category of a very sick church. It puts us in a category of a very sick church. I don't like to hear it. You may not like to hear it, but is that what the reality is? Now, I'm not saying because we're, because we're diagnosed with a very sick church, that doesn't mean that the fellowship that we have with one another, the times that we have together isn't sweet. It doesn't mean that everything that we're doing is bad. It doesn't mean that we're all meeting for all the wrong reasons. But something is broken. Right? Something is just not where it needs to be. If we, can, if we can fit the mold of a very sick church, we really need to start taking a look at where we are and start trying to address where we need to go. So now that we've ripped the Band-Aid off, you know, how did we get here? Of course, I haven't been here for the last 20 years. I haven't been here for the last 30 or 40 or 50 years or within the last 170 years that this church has a history. You've been here for a long time. So how does it happen? Well, the way that it happens is there is a slow erosion over decades of time. Don't look back in history and try to blame it on one event or one pastor or one conflict or this happened or this happened. Many things had to fall into place. And as over time, just little by little by little, it begins to erode. And you start to see the effects often Often when it's almost too late, 
the symptoms are in place, but we're just not able to see it. Maybe like the church of Laodicea, just blind to it, not knowing. We were riding the wave of the times of fruits and harvest as far as that we possibly can, and once we realize we're at the shore, you know, without a wave, we're looking back now, what do we do? Without the energy or the resources to get back out and catch another wave. So we've got to be, take this very seriously. But the process of going from a healthy church to a very sick church is very slow. It's a slow erosion, but it usually starts at a time of harvest and fruit bearing. We start to get that. We start to experience the blessings of God. And like in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, they talk about where, they, where God blesses the children of Israel, yet they forget God, and then they fall. We must be very careful. It's a slow erosion, so it didn't happen overnight. So don't sit here and try to rack your brain and try to go over the church history and say, well, this is why it happened, this is why it happened, this is why it happened. It's probably not likely that that's the case. But it's a slow erosion of several small different things that will bring us to a point like this. But also another reason why is that is because of that slow erosion and because it happens in times of fruit and harvest, the past becomes the hero. And if the past is the hero, then we're constantly looking back and that, re, and, that, and that keeps us from being able to move forward. If we're looking back, you can't move forward. If you're looking back and going forward, you're walking backwards and you're really, really inefficient and you can't really navigate your path very, very well. But the past can't be the hero. Yes, the, the good old days were there. And those days are absolutely great, and they're good. But you have to understand, we are the church of the living God, and our best days can be ahead of us. We don't have to keep looking back. We need to look forward. We can't be fixated on the way things that used to be. We must not allow the past to be our hero. Jesus Christ is our hero, and he's the one upon whom we will be focusing on moving forward. Also, the church, once the past becomes a hero and they start looking at things the way that they've always seen them and the way that they like them, the church often at that point becomes a purpose, or not a purpose-driven, but a preference-driven church. And we're driven by the preferences, and then church ends up being about me and what I want, and then the ministries and the programs that get adopted by the church, they're more self-serving to the members of the congregation rather than those who are on the outside. And Paul describes this, in, and he wraps it up very quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, verses through 31, and I'll just sum it up. You know, the members of the, it's like the, um, the, we're members of the body of Christ, and we do not exist for ourselves. We do not exist for ourselves. The church is here not for ourselves, but we are here for the greater good of the body of Christ. And a lot of times my preferences can get in the way of that. My preferences can hold back the gospel of Jesus if I allow it to. So once the church becomes a preference-driven church, all the ministries and all the programs start to be inward-focused and self-serving. And the church can become very maintenance-minded, just trying to keep themselves floating and moving forward. But with the idea of I have become rich, we are wealthy, and we have need of nothing. Why? Because we're surviving. We're existing. And Jesus says, but you do not know where you truly are. We become a preference-driven church, and whenever we start to fulfill our preferences, it makes us happy, and we like it, and therefore we keep moving forward in that direction. 
One man said it this way with dying churches. He says, members of a dying church really didn't want growth unless the growth met their preferences and allowed them to remain comfortable. I don't want you to be comfortable. Are you uncomfortable this morning? I hope so. I, I do hope so. But in being a, driven, being, a, being a church that's driven by preferences, it hinders you from being driven by our purpose. If we're driven by our preferences, we are, we are not to be driven by preferences, but we have a purpose. We have a reason that we are here. We have a reason why Jesus Christ has left us here. We have a reason we have been commissioned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we're not doing that, when we are not focused upon our purpose, which is our great commission, which is a responsibility to make disciples, we are simply just going through the motions. We're playing a game that we call church. We're finding ourselves into a really, we're getting ourselves into a really bad rut and a really bad routine. Our purpose here is to be a completely and totally gospel-centered church. If you haven't heard enough hard sayings this morning, here's another one. A church that is no longer gospel-centered is no longer a church at all. Are we gospel-centered where we are right now? Are we reaching out into the community with the gospel of Jesus? So we looked at the reason why we're talking about this is we talk about this because we need to know where we are. We need to know the reality of our situation in order to be able to properly, efficiently move forward. We've seen how we've gotten there by that slow erosion of these things that kind of come upon us. And it's nothing that we can really point to, but it's just a general, slow degrading to the point to where we are now. So the question is, is what do we do now? What's my place in this? That's, the, that's really the question that I really would like to have the answer to. But sadly, it is very rare for a church that gets to a very sick condition to reverse its course. It's very rare for that to actually happen. It's extremely difficult to get better from this point, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible why? Because with God, all things are truly possible. In Haggai chapter 1, and we'll begin to close with this and prepare for our invitation. In Haggai chapter 1, the children of Israel, they had started building the temple. They'd gotten the foundation done, and then they had abandoned the foundation, and they had went to go work on their own homes. And for a decade, the foundation of the temple laid there. In Haggai chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? And the Lord goes on to say, He says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I think for us this morning, that's what we've done. We've really got to consider our ways. In verse 9, this, is the, this, this was the consequence of them leaving the Lord's house in ruins. It says, you looked for much, but indeed it came too little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, says the Lord? Because of my house that is in ruins. 
while every one of you runs to his own house? So the question still arises, so what do we do? Well, there's something we can't do. We can't leave the Lord's house in ruins, can we? We can't leave the Lord's house in ruins. So back in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says in verse 18, He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. And that's what the truth has done this morning, I believe. If you didn't know our position now, that you've gotten the salve on your eyes, the ointment on your eyes, it has been exposed. We know where we are. So what is our responsibility now? Well, in verse 19, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. As we stand this morning, as the music begins to play, as we start to prepare ourselves for the invitation this morning, what we need to do as First Baptist Church, as we've taken an honest look as where we are today and the condition in which we are, I am asking you this morning to acknowledge our condition and repent. As a church, we need to repent. As individuals, we need to repent. Collectively, as a church, First Baptist Church, repentance is needed. And let's take responsibility for allowing God's house to get into this condition in which it is. We're a very sick church. I believe with God's people being willing to be committed and turning to Him and getting on our knees before God, and asking Him to forgive us for what we have done over the past few years. I believe He can restore us. We can have a renewed strength and that God will forgive us and we can, be, we can follow His leadership as we move forward. I'm going to ask that you would come. I'm calling you to repentance this morning to join me at the altar and pray. I'll see you down front.